0: This is Lessons in Leadership. Steve Autobado, Mary Gamba, and in just a minute, we're going to introduce our great friend Joe Roth. Mary, real quick, let's get this out of the way because it's important. We are very grateful and appreciative of our sponsors who include.
1: Yes, they do include the NJ Sharing Network, which is just a wonderful partnership, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Seton Hall University, and the Bacino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University the North Ward Center, Kessler Foundation, and Delta Dental of New Jersey. So it's just such a great partnership when I say all those names, just to know all the great uh, partners that we have.
0: And one of the great partners is, in fact, the New Jersey Sharing Network. And we are honored to be joined by a long time and very good friend, Joe Roth, who's the president and CEO. Joe, how are we doing today, buddy?
2: We're feeling great. Very Zen-like
0: today. (laughs) (laughs) We
1: we need to say. Okay,
0: hold on. Before... (laughs) Before we started, Mary looked at Joe because Joe's no matter what's going on, Joe's like this. At least he appears this way. And Mary said, "What's up? You're always zen-like." And Joe's like, "Listen, I'll bottle it and send it to you." Um, <laughs> Joe, in all seriousness, I've known you from for twenty years plus. You do always seem pretty calm. What's up with that?
2: Well, sometimes I'm not, but uh, you know, I've I've learned not to worry about the things that I can't do anything about, and. Uh, just worry about the things that, are, uh, that I can work on. So that's probably how it is. You know, uh, when I was younger, I was a lot, lot more type A, but uh, over time, <laughs> I've eased into it.
0: Yeah, and by the way, um, as Joe knows, I never, this is one wristband I never take off. It's the New Jersey Sharing Network Thank you. Um, wristband. And it's all over the place. You see it everywhere. As you see the website right up there right now. Joe, put this in context. This may just look like a wristband, but what does it represent? Let everyone know, because organ and tissue donation is more important now than ever before. Please, Joe.
2: Well, it represents uh, the over 4,000 people in New Jersey waiting for a life-saving transplant, the over 110,000 people nationally waiting for a transplant. And it represents our mission of saving and enhancing lives uh, through organ donation. uh, it's, it's wrapped around all that, and it's been the symbol. It used to be a green ribbon. Now it's our green wristband. So,
0: Real quick on this show before Mary jumps in, the other thing about you, because we knew each other in another life when you worked for a different organization, but the one thing that has always been clear to me that, um, is that you understand servant leadership, and your view of leadership is based largely... Yeah, yes, you have to meet the bottom line. Yes, you have to be a motivator. Yes, you have to be a great communicator. All those things. Joe, servant leadership, serving others, making a difference in the lives of others has been at the core of who you are as a leader from as far back as I can remember. Where does that come from?
2: I. you know. I think it was something that was instilled to me, instilled in me by my parents. It sounds trite, but, uh, you know, my, my family were, were very uh, giving and volunteering and, and doing things to help the community. Uh, as I grew up, I got interested in, in various topics and so forth. And, um, you know, organ donation and transplant was something that my father spoke to us about. Uh, way back when the first heart transplant was done in in uh, South Africa. So when I became familiar with the sharing network and did some work with them while I was in another job it seemed like a natural fit and uh, it was uh, um, just when when the opportunity came to apply for this job there there wasn't even a moment of hesitation to, to get into it.
0: You know I'm probably gonna get this wrong was that Dr. DeBakey Uh, No, it was. um, uh, Mary's going to search it right now. Christian Bernard. Christian Bernard. Oh, oh, that. Your dad was talking about that then? Yes. (laughs) Wow.
2: And he said, you know, if if something happens to me and you can donate anything, donate anything you want, you know, for him, it became a natural
0: thing. Back in the 60s. Talk about the, the impact our parents can have on the way we view the world. Mary, please take over.
1: Yeah, uh, Joe, one thing that I really wanted to make sure that we touch on today is the initiative at the New Jersey Sharing Network, the Donation Needs Diversity. Can you talk a little bit about that for viewers today and what does that mean? Well,
2: the hashtag Donation Needs Diversity is, is our pro, you know, social media program to uh, encourage v- the various diverse groups in New Jersey. As as we know very well, we are one of the most diverse states populous states in the in the country and that also shows up in in the waiting list of the people waiting for transplant Uh, there are a lot of people of color Um, our our lists have uh, almost 60 percent people of color uh, on the waiting list so uh, our our job is to educate the public that uh, about donation about why the uh, minority communities should be involved in this for various reasons one there are, are community members who are in need. And if the opportunity happens that they could, so a loved one could be a, a, an organ donor, it should happen. But also if, if in somewhere down the line, they might happen to become uh, in need of an organ, um, they should know that uh, their community should also participate in this. So, um, and and it's been very successful. Uh, New Jersey has one of the higher rates of, of um, minority donation in the country. So, whereas the national donation rate is about 12%,
0: we're close to 20% here in New Jersey.
2: Still not enough. We still need more.
0: Put up the website, Sylvester, and post-production, put up the website and is there a separate section for um, donation needs? diversity the hashtag is there a separate link there joe because i'm going to help people navigate the website
2: it should be on the on the front page on the first the home page
0: uh of the website and what can can people find out more but also can people sign up what can they do yeah
2: and and what happens is on on facebook uh well on the on the home page of our website you definitely can go to a link there's a link there to how to become an organ donor and takes you to our site where you can register to become an organ donor either through the Motor Vehicle Commission website or through the Donate Life America organ donor registry. Uh, and so that's one way to get to it. The other way is you can even use your iPhone, as I said before, the, the health app on the iPhone uh, has the ability to to sign up to be an organ donor. Got it, Mary?
1: Yeah. And Steve, you stole my question. I was just going to ask for those watching, but I do want to put it out there. I know there's a lot of misconceptions about organ donation. Oh, if I sign up to be an organ donor and then, you know, maybe they're not going to try as hard to save me. Can you just talk about that a little bit? I think that's something that people need to understand that it is a gift that you're giving to others. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be cared for differently in the hospital. Correct.
2: You, I, you, I couldn't have said it better. Um, there is no, no truth to anything that uh, because you're donated something bad's gonna, you're you're signed up as a a donor that something bad will happen to you. The doctors who treat you when you get to the hospital have no idea that you're gonna be an organ donor. Nobody knows it at that time. So they're gonna work as hard as possible to make you survive whatever injury you've had. But if it's a non-survivable injury at some point, um, they'll refer that patient to the sharing network and we will check to see if they're on a, a donor registry. So it's, uh, there's a lot of room between when you enter the hospital and when we might have to look at whether you're an organ donor.
0: Yeah. By the way, uh, I know a few things about Joe. One, I know he loves the Rolling Stones. Correct, Joe?
2: <laughs> still do.
0: <laughs> you still do. But I also know he was recently um, recognized by the State Chamber of Commerce, New Jersey Chamber of Commerce, and the African-American Chamber of Commerce. Joe has been uh, labeled a champion of diversity. What does it mean, A, and what does it mean to you, Joe?
2: Well, it's a great honor considering, um, you know, it was a surprise to start with, but the state chamber and the African-American chamber of of New Jersey both uh, coordinated this award. And I'm truly honored, but I I accept it really for our organization because I'm not the one who does it. It's our staff. And there's so much behind this and getting, getting the word out and work so hard every day to save and enhance lives that uh, I, I accepted it on behalf of everybody at the Sharing Network, not because of something Joe Roth did. Uh, and, uh, even, and so that's, uh, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of our organization, how we've worked to increase donation in New Jersey. Uh, we've had two straight record years of increases in organ donation, and this year we'll probably have a third straight uh, increase in donation. So what we're doing is, is working.
0: Hey, Mary, before we let Joe go, We've always, one of the things, you know, we both have known about Joe, because they support our public broadcasting programming as well. And we've had so many meetings and collaborated on so many things. Um, Joe's very humble. And in that way, he reminds me of me. Um, <laughs> well, wait, hold I, on one second. How did you guys even know that was a joke? I,
1: <laughs> I, I think Joe no. followed my lead. There's no, no humble and no Zen in all right. Steve There's Adubato. a serious
0: question. I get the joke, but there's a serious question here. Mary, in all seriousness, humility and leadership. And then I'll let Joe come in on it because he is one of the most humble guys and strongest leaders I know. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah.
1: No, and as I've always said, it is so important to be humble, right? I've often said to you, Steve, Steve, I don't need the compliments. I don't need somebody telling me how great I am. Being humble really to me just means being confident and comfortable in your skin, and knowing that you're doing good to the world, to the people around you. So to me, being humble is doing those things, but without saying, "Hey, look at me and look at all the hard work that I did." So that to me is what humble means.
0: Still working hey, on that on my end, Joe. Go ahead. <laughs> Humility and I leadership.
2: I, I couldn't agree more with with Mary's point. I mean, I've always felt that uh, the sign of a good leader is someone who showcases the people who work for him and develops those people for growth. I mean, I think, and it's, it's very present in the fact that our staff are out there, they're recognized, they're, they're, they're good at what they do. We hire the best people. Um, and, and I, So whatever success comes from that, and you know, I take just great pride in the fact that that happens. Well said, you know, Joe Roth. Thank uh, you.
0: Uh, I'm sorry, did I cut you off, Joe? No, no, that's fine. I'm working on my listening skills. So, uh, <laughs> hey, Joe Roth, and the New Jersey Sharing Network. Thank you for being our partner on Lessons in Leadership and also uh, the incredible support you provided, not just to us, but to other organizations. We've been involved in public awareness programming at the Caucus Educational Corporation for years and we have a lot of work to do in 2022. Hey Joe, all the best to you and your family and your personal life and your family. At the New Jersey Sharing Network. Thanks, my friend. And you guys
2: have been great supporters of the Sharing Network, and we look forward to a continued uh, partnership going forward.
0: So, thanks a lot for everything you do for us, too. Wow. Well, we're very lucky. Thank you, Joe. Mary, we'll, right yeah. back after this. Stay with us. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. The North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856.
1: This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to Stand-Deliver.com. That's Stand-Deliver.com.
0: Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen, and I got my
3: life back. The Sherry means to me hope, life, and everything. The Sharing
1: Network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it.
2: We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. Pay tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait.
0: And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Arubato, Mary Gamble. Mary, we're about to go into this fascinating interview um, with Professor Lewis Major, who is a Board of Governors Professor of American Studies and History at Rutgers University. It's all about. He, he I saw Major in a documentary. Mary, was the documentary on HBO? It was called Lincoln: Divided We Stand.
1: It sure was. Yes.
0: He was in that, and I'm. We've known Major for a while, and I'm fascinated by Lincoln. And our yeah, leadership just a little library,
1: bit.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, I've got 10 books on Lincoln because I'm fascinated by him. And I wanted to talk to someone who's actually studied Lincoln as a leader, as a president, as a human being. What was your biggest takeaway? Mary and I will talk about this on the back end. But as we go into major talking about Lincoln, what was your biggest takeaway?
1: Uh, for me, it was really Lincoln as a human being, as being vulnerable, as uh, he talked about his depression and just his marriage. and. And just him, I think oftentimes, whether it's a a president, a prominent figure, uh, somebody in history, that you put them on a pedestal and sometimes you think they're almost godlike. And to me, it was really just learning about what he was like as a person, more of as than an icon. It was just for me that seeing and hearing about that personal side as a leader uh, really resonated with me.
0: Yeah. Mary and I will talk more about this on the back end. Also talk about the great Colin Powell with his quote, uh, sometimes leaders, when I wrote about this in my book Lessons in Leadership, he told me in an interview, sometimes you have to make tough decisions as a leader and you quote, piss people off. Think about Lincoln. Think about the Civil War. Think about the decisions he had to make as it relates to uh, the North, the South, slavery. Talk about pissing people off. He did what he thought was right. And um, history decided after that, Uh, That being said, this is Professor Lewis Major from Rutgers University, a great historian talking about um, what some argue, who many argue, is our greatest president and clearly one of the greatest leaders of not our time, but any time, Abraham Lincoln. All right, you ready? Everything you ever wanted or needed to know about Abraham Lincoln, people think they know him, right? As one of the greatest presidents ever, but this gentleman really knows him. He is Dr. Lou Major, who is a Board of Governors, Professor of American Studies and History at Rutgers University, my alma mater. Hey, um, what do we think we know about Lincoln, but isn't actually accurate?
3: Oh, it's such a tough question. Um, I mean, there's lots of, of, of misconceptions. There's also lots of different opinions, right? I mean, you and I may feel uh, he's a beloved figure, the greatest president ever. Uh, Not everybody uh, necessarily believes that. So I think, there's lots of, of misconceptions uh, about Lincoln that are out there. Whether it what made him a great
0: leader. To... Part of me, as a student of leadership, I'm always fascinated. What made Lincoln a great leader?
3: Well, I think a few different things. I think a few different things. I mean, one is he understood very early on that education was the path to success. You know, think about think about his background, think about his life. What were the chances for this kid, an illiterate father, uh, born on a in a dirt floor cabin. Uh, He even said in 1860 that his education was defective, but he was a believer in what we would call the American dream. And he understood that the path of upper mobility led through ideas, led through thinking and his entire life exemplified that. I think that's one of the elements that made him uh, a a remarkable person and a great leader.
0: Professor, and by the way, you were featured in the documentary on Lincoln. Where did we see that documentary, Lou?
3: Uh, It was originally aired on CNN, and it's now uh, actually available on HBO and HBO Max, I believe.
0: It's awesome. And by the way, uh, Dr. Major is terrific in it. Lincoln's Hundred Days, your book, first book to tell the full story of the period from September 1862 to January 1863. So the Emancipation Proclamation. People think they understand what it was. Free the slaves. First of all, that's not exactly true, because what Lincoln originally proposed in the Emancipation Proclamation and what the proclamation really was in the end? Two totally different documents.
3: Absolutely fantastic that, that you bring that up. Because again, here's one of those misconceptions. I mean, people fundamentally misunderstand the Emancipation Proclamation. And now we live in a moment where lots of people have moved away from the idea of Lincoln freeing the slaves. But here's the essence, I think, of Lincoln's greatness. We can watch him as he changed his mind over time. This is a man who in 1854 raised questions about the political and social equality of blacks, but he understands that times change. He thinks, that comes back to education, hard about the issues of the day. He decides to issue a preliminary Emancipation Proclamation, September 22nd, 1862, announcing in a hundred days, he's going to free the slaves. But here too, there's change over time. And that document evolves into an even more radical document, if you will, uh, one that not only freed the slaves, but authorizes the enlistment of black soldiers. This was an astonishing idea. Only a few months earlier, Lincoln said, that's crazy. How can we enlist black soldiers? Black men could never fight. And if they did, it would lead to all kinds of depredations. No, 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 he understood the significance of Black men fighting for their own freedom and contributing to the Union cause.
0: By the way, the documentary I mentioned, thank you, team, for putting up, it's called Lincoln, Divide It, We Stand. Lincoln, Divide It, We Stand. Check it out. Google it, it'll come up. Hey, Lou, I got to follow up on something. Lincoln as a leader, it's complex in this sense. There are those who argue in other books that Lincoln's obsession was really not simply about freeing the slaves, but it was also about keeping the Union together and that the Civil War and all the deaths connected to the Civil War, some argue, could have been avoided if Lincoln was so, was not so committed to fighting the South on this and getting Southern States not to succeed or secede from the nation, but to keep the union together. And it wasn't simply about slavery.
3: Yeah, this is, this is an old argument, right? Going back uh, earlier in the 20th century, the idea of a blundering generation, the idea that the war could have been avoided. But Most historians uh, will tell you we're not philosophers and we don't deal with issues of inevitability. And there's all kinds of contingency uh, related to the start of the war, related to the fighting of the war. At any given moment, things could have gone a different way. The important point is Lincoln understood that he was not going to allow this nation to be destroyed by secession, which he considered to be unconstitutional and ingenious sophism, the essence of anarchy, he called it. And he was going to do whatever it took to try and preserve this nation, the last great hope of earth, uh, because it was the greatest experiment in democracy that had ever occurred. So uh, there you have it. And, and to lay at his feet, I mean, look, he understood the, the toll and realized this as well, right? We live life forward, we understand it backwards. No one in April of 1861 thought the war was going to last four years and end up taking over 750,000 lives. Uh, but that is what happened. Uh, but in the end, the nation was preserved and slavery was abolished.
0: Talk about Lincoln's depression. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, here's another example of something that I think he overcame. Uh, another example, I think, of his, of his leadership. You know, He suffered from what was called melancholy in the 19th century. We might call it depression. Uh, they called it the hypos. Uh, he had the blues. He would get terribly sad, uh, withdrawn. I mean, there were moments where his friends even thought he was suicidal. Uh, one could retreat and, and fall apart, or one can try and take the kinds of measures to help you get outside yourself. This is the other side of Lincoln. Lincoln, the storyteller. Lincoln, the jokester. He had an incredible self-deprecating sense of humor. You know, the other thing about his depression and his melancholy he was not an attractive man. And, and he, he made fun it. of
0: his appearance.
3: Yes, yes. And, and Walt Whitman saw him. He wrote a letter home to his mother, <laughs> in which he said, he's like a Hoosier Michelangelo, so awful ugly, he's nearly beautiful. Lincoln took that. He packaged it. He turned it into a set of skills. Here are two leadership skills, I think, Steve, by which people liked him. Uh, It's a great skill to have as a politician. You know, one example, famously in the debate with Stephen Douglas, he said, my opponent
0: The many, many Lincoln-Douglas debates.
3: Yes, exactly. He says, my opponent accuses me of being two-faced. If I was two-faced, why would (laughs) I be wearing the one that I have? I mean, it's just wonderful and it's brilliant. And he used storytelling to win over juries and he used storytelling didactically as well.
0: I want to ask real quick, Mary Lincoln, a lot has been written and said about her, their relationship, and how complex she was. How did she influence Lincoln's presidency and him as a person?
3: It's such an important question and and Mary Todd Lincoln's reputation has changed over time and, and in some ways. Uh, has changed for the better. You know, Lincoln's secretaries couldn't stand her. Uh, they saw her as, as sort of, you know, a, a hellcat. She was demanding. She was loud. She was bossy. She stepped outside of the traditional role ascribed to women uh, in the 19th century. Uh, and, and, of course, later in life, Robert Todd Lincoln, for a variety of reasons, actually had her committed to an asylum. So her reputation over time had been as if she was a crazy person and as if, Uh, they had an awful marriage and an awful relationship. I think that view has been revised. It has been revised uh, correctly. Uh, You can see some of it actually in the film Lincoln, Steven Spielberg's film, in which Sally Field plays Mary Todd Lincoln and plays her as a much more sympathetic character. Uh, I think Mary Todd was ambitious. She wanted her husband to be president. Most historians agree she helped him along this line of pushing him toward uh, anti-slavery. And there's no question that they had a loving companion at marriage. They fought, but they loved each other.
0: Hey, Lou, thank you so much. Last time you with really us, you talked Springsteen. Now you talk another incredibly important, iconic American figure, Abraham Lincoln. Thank you, Professor. Thank you for having me. Great talking with you. I mean, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about here, but in the few minutes we have left. Mary, let me, let me throw something at you. So, Lincoln clearly had a troubled marriage. Um, Mary Lincoln, talk about being troubled, and Lincoln was depressed. Lincoln lost a son, right? They had great tragedy in their lives. The connection between trying to find, people talk about work-life balance. They didn't talk about that in the 1860s. The tragedy, the difficulties, the pain, the suffering that people have in their personal lives, including their marriages, and being a strong leader. Talk about it.
1: It's so hard to separate the two, right? Especially now we're almost two years into COVID. Most, a lot of us, I can't say most of us, a lot of us are working from home. So there is so much crossover. And for me personally, it's separating out the the emotional side of both work and home, right? I always say, as you and I are working, Steve, I try not to think about, you know, what's going on with my kids and, you know, oh, Will's at college, we need to pick his dorm and things of that nature. So I try really to be present and in the moment but at times there are going to be uh, crises. There's going to be fires that need to be put out, uh, as we talked about on another uh, show, like last night. You know, it was like, oh well, you know, we have to deal with this fire, or that fire after work Mary, stop!
0: Mary, stop! Stop! What? You're talking in generalities. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but there's the short version. My <laughs> wife, no, my wife Jennifer, and I've been in this kick for the last many months. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to deal with things a certain way. I'm not going to let the all the things Mary says, the Zen-like thing that we're going for. And I'm, I'm better than I was. For some reason, and I told Mary, I, I argued it was because I got a cortisone shot in my elbow for some pain, that I was in pain, I was cranky. We're taping today and there are people working outside. Uh, there's a lot of noise going on. And I asked my wife, Jennifer, well, did you tell the people not to come in?" She goes, that's my job. That's my job to tell people. And we got into this ridiculous argument. So I said, okay, let me call Mary. Right while my wife and I were having this discussion, back and forth, and, and, I, and she goes, why are you calling Mary? So I said, because Mary knows what has to be done. And I literally had a ridiculous argument with my wife in front of Mary on the phone. And I realized this morning, that's why I apologized to my wife, apologized to Mary. Now, why do I say all that? That was a ridiculous argument about who was supposed to do what to tell whom, not to make noise. The workmen are outside. That's ridiculous. It's stupid. And we're talking about Lincoln, depression, Mm -hmm. losing a child, having a wife. They didn't have a great marriage. My wife and I, fortunately, this last time I checked, have a decent marriage. Mary. Yes. Can we draw a line and build a wall between our personal lives and our professional lives as leaders?
1: I don't think there is a line. If there is a line, it's moving and it's blurred and that's okay. And I think just using that as a perfect example, when something like that happens, we've often said it, we're not saving lives. If it is something that can be corrected, let's forget about all the yelling, the screaming, the disagreeing, the pointing fingers. As you know, I I was proud of myself. I just stayed quiet. And then at the end, I said, okay, (laughs) I said, I know what we need to do. And moving forward, you you know, Jen and you and everyone are going to have every single tape date on that calendar and bam we have a solution. So no, is it, of course you want to get to, oh, well, why didn't you, why didn't she, why didn't I, but it's, it's just extra time, extra energy. That that's where it goes back to that state as we're talking about. So I've learned to accept the blurring of the lines. If anything, it makes me less stressed if I'm on vacation and I'm happy to deal with things because it it makes everyone else's lives easier. So I'm okay with that, but there are certain times when you just have to turn that phone off and announce that the phone's going to be off. So I, I think it's a new world that we're living in.
0: Uh, Alvin, I know you're saying we have to say goodbye, and I will also say this. For as leaders, as human beings, we can try to be better every day, but I know I'm not batting a thousand. I'm not even close. Um, but I'm better than I used to be and not where I want to be, if that makes any sense. Mary Gamba, thank you for helping me be better. I think, think right after this, I'm going to go apologize to my wife again. <laughs> Great job, everyone. Lessons in Leadership. See you next Sunday right here on News 12+. Plus. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856.
1: This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to Stand-Deliver.com. That's Stand-Deliver.com.
0: Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Atabato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine.